we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done by Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. You're tuning into Done by Law at 3CR on 855 AM. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional and rightful custodians of the land we are broadcasting from. We pay our respect to elders and acknowledge that this land was stolen and never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. It's 6pm on the 16th of November 2021 and we're your hosts Dylan and Jeremy. Tonight we're discussing the introduction of Victoria's new wage theft laws which came into operation on the 1st of July 2021. Victoria became the second state after Queensland to make wage theft a crime. This came after significant campaigning by Victorian workers and unions, which shed light on a series of high profile wage theft cases, such as 7-Eleven, George Columbaris's restaurants, and the University of Melbourne, just to name a few. The legislation that was passed is called the Wage Theft Act 2020, and it is now a crime to dishonestly underpay employees, dishonestly withhold wages, superannuation or other employee entitlements, falsify employee entitlement records to gain financial advantage, and also failing to keep employee entitlement records to gain a financial advantage. This may be a surprise to listen listeners that these were not previously criminal acts. The issue of underpayments is still dealt with under the Fair Work Act, which is the federal workplace legislation, where an employee can ask the court to impose a civil penalty, where an employer has underpaid an employee, whether or not that's intentional or unintentional. However, The new wage theft laws have been designed to add a criminal element and higher penalties for employers who deliberately underpay their employees. These new laws have also created a new independent body called the Wage Theft Inspectorate, which has powers to enforce compliance, investigate and prosecute wage theft. It's a real testament to the hard work of workers and unions who fought so hard for these new new laws, which really challenges the idea that wage theft is a part of the normal costs of doing business. Tonight, we're joined by two guests, May Reid Lesman, the director of the Young Workers Centre, and Liam McDonald, an industrial officer at the United Workers Union, who will be talking to us tonight about these new wage theft laws. May Reid, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. My name is Mairead. I'm the Acting Director of Young Workers Centre. Um, Young Workers Centre is a community legal centre here in Victoria for folks under the age of 30 uh, if they have issues at work. Um, we have two arms to us. There's the legal centre um, and we also have our uh, outreach and education centre um, which focuses on educating young people on their rights and responsibilities at work. Um, the idea is that we want to see a state without exploitation of young people at work. Uh, that's me. That's very fitting for today. Uh, and Liam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep. Um, my name is Liam McDonald. I'm an industrial officer with the United Workers Union. 
Uh, and while the union does uh, many incredible amount of varied things, I deal mainly with disputes around terminations, underpayment of wages, discrimination, and agreement and law interpretation. And I work a lot with the Hospital Voice area in providing industrial support for their campaigns. Thanks for joining us. Liam, if you wouldn't mind, could you tell listeners a little bit more about Hospital Voice, just first of all, but first of all? So Hospo Voice is a part of the United Workers Union that, as you may guess, is focused on hospitality, um, but especially focused on new forms of union in organising and action. As probably everyone on this call knows, hospitality is a very wide-ranging industry um, and there's one of the main epicenters of wage theft. But part of the problem is that there only be two or three people who work at one place and the industry has so much turnover that it's been incredibly hard in the past 20 years to be able to enforce even the little rights that there are. So there's been a lot of main focus on both public and media action to pressure employees into you know, meeting the minimum entitlements and not punishing people for raising pay issues. Great. Thanks for explaining a little bit more about Hospital Voice. Thank you again uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, critics of the term wage theft um, have said that the term is loaded and misleading. The Business Council of Australia is quoted as saying that most non-compliance by employers is not, quote, wage theft, but the result of system errors or inadvertent mistakes, many of which are the direct result of the complexity of Australia's workplace relations system. Uh, I might start with you, Mairead. Could you tell our listeners why the the term wage theft is is appropriate in this context? Yeah, sure. Look, at the heart of it, the responsibility lies with employers and bosses to pay their people correctly, right? Whether it's inadvertent or not, and I would strongly disagree with the narrative that wage theft, uh, the wage theft that we've seen is like an occasional mistake. It's a normalised endemic business practice that predominantly affects young workers, workers from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. And in some cases, the theft can equate to tens of thousands of dollars. This is incredibly serious. And can you imagine what would happen if the tables were turned and a worker stole that from the business? Cops would be called, charges would be laid. Up until uh, the 1st of July, the worst that would happen to a business is if they were found out for having committed wage theft, was that they would have to pay those workers back what they were owed. Um, Now, what that creates is a system where the practice of wage theft becomes normal. uh, And ultimately, for us, it's about ensuring that there is, one, an understanding that there is somebody who is responsible for this um, and ultimately should be doing better. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID to no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated.
a message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. And, and thank you, Mairead. Liam, do you have anything to add about the term terminology wage theft and why these so why wage theft is more appropriate than so-called system errors or mistakes? Yep, wage theft is entirely the appropriate term. The term entered into our media and political spheres in the past couple of years because of campaigns run by workers, and a lot of that was through Hospo Voice. Having worked in some of these campaigns, I can tell you that these are not instances of errors or mistakes. When it reaches the point that there's a group of workers protesting their boss and getting media attention, there's usually been months and months and dozens of workers repeatedly raising these issues with their employer and being just brushed off. You know, while there are mistakes that happen and people get paid and there are system errors, these are things that I deal with, those are fixed really quickly. Um, they usually take a day or two to resolve, not, you know, dozens of calls and letters to your boss. Um, on the, you know, the narrative that's woven that we have a complex industrial relations system, there are some very complex areas in our system. I work in them. But the vast majority of underpayments don't come from these areas because they don't affect how the wages work. They come from people, you know, employers deliberately not paying the correct rate, refusing to pay superannuation, not paying penalty rates, and sometimes just not paying someone at all. And I don't know how you can tell me that not, not transferring the pay that you've put on a pay slip into someone's bank account is because of the complexity of the industrial relations system. That's just a bold-faced lie there. Yeah, I've, uh, I have noticed that there's been a, a quite a large shift um, within media using the term underpayment to wage theft, and that, that does reflect what you've just said. So thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, Liam, in your experience, um, how widespread or rampant has this problem of wage theft been? Incredibly widespread. Um, I think especially in areas where there's insecure work or a higher population of per workers from a minority group who essentially the employer has something that they can press on that someone's afraid they'll lose their job, um, that they you know don't have an area of support to go to, that they can be you know treated differently than other workers. And a lot of things we see like abuse of visa workers. Um, just a couple of very general examples of different ways I've seen of wage theft, which are criminal, not wage wage theft, not you know civil wage theft, which is the difference between those is very complicated. But things like the standard hospitality worker whose hours are rounded down 15 minutes, so it's a whole hour. Um, I've seen a teenager with a disability who was paid as low as $5 an hour to do hospitality work, to make coffees and serve wine. I've dealt with cleaners who were working for one employer, were pressured into renting from their supervisor, and then forced into working for that supervisor's separate company for free. Otherwise, they'd lose their job and their housing. I've seen workers who work 60 hours a week and are forced to sign you know, timesheets for 20 hours a week. Very recently, I had an employer who presented a letter that they'd written and forced the employee to sign that said that the employee was volunteering not to be paid, and if they changed their mind, they should be punished. And they're like, you bet, but I've got proof. I'll take this to court. And that's not complexity. That's widespread, deliberate theft from people. That's uh, quite troubling. Mariah, do you have similar experience with that as well? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's a week that goes by where the majority of cases through the centre aren't wage theft and something else. Um, it's incredibly normalised. And it's normalised, you know, retail and hospitality. 
but it's we've also seen a huge amount of apprentices and trainees coming through with these same same problems the reality is like the bigger the power imbalance between a worker and a boss the more likely we are to see this and for you know all intents and purposes for us it begins when we start to hear that they don't get pay, pay slips or anything like that as well so um it's quite widespread it's super normalized uh, and we see it yeah on a daily basis so taking that point that it's become so normalized hospital voice and united workers union and the young workers center have been involved in shedding light on some high profile campaigns and cases of wage theft. Um, do you see this as a systemic cultural issue? And do you think these laws are enough to affect that change and kind of address that power imbalance? I'll start with you, Maureen, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, I think it's a really important start, right? It's really critical that we have um, regulation in this space and that there is a, a threat. There is something bigger than just having to pay back the wages. Uh, there is, you know, we need to sort out the next part so that workers can get their money back quicker through a fast-tracked process. Um, but ultimately, um, this is a really important start to tackle what is a widespread, and I think justifiably, it is a cultural issue as well. So. Um, it isn't everything. It's gonna, there are gonna be steps that have to happen for this regulation to be as powerful as it can be. And that's, you know, prosecutions, um, but it is a really important step. It also gives us another tool when we're trying to tackle these cases, um, but it is, it is an important step. And that's really, really good that we've got it. When you talk about the, the prosecutions, is there, there's been, the introduction of the wage inspectorate uh, alongside the laws. Is the wage, could you tell listeners a little bit more about the wage inspectorate and what, what that power entails? Yeah, I can. So Wage Inspectorate Victoria is a re regulatory body that now exists here. Um, they have quite a lot of powers under the Act. So they can investigate, they can seize documents. Uh, they uh, can also, you know, like they've got a strong investigatory body as well. Um, there are huge amounts of fines and there's up to your 10 years jail time. Uh, they also have quite a high bar uh, for prosecution. I think that's worth noting. So uh, for, for somebody to, um, for this to happen, for, you know, somebody to, you know, be prosecuted on wage, the wage theft laws that we've got, um, the argument has to be that they knowingly, that they deliberately did this wage theft. Um, and that can be demonstrated in a couple of ways. So that's broadly what they are. They've got a big investigatory team. You, there is a mechanism to report anonymously. There's a mechanism to report non-anonymously as well, which obviously is what we need to be able to get to the stage where they are prosecuting. Uh, these wage theft bosses, ultimately. Thank you, Maraid. Uh, Liam uh, or Maraid, have you been involved in much of the wage inspectorate's work or been in contact with them? How do you see um, United Workers Union and the Young Workers Centre working with the wage inspectorate? Sure. 
Um, I've dealt recently with the wage inspector. As Mairead said, they have an incredibly high bar for what is wage theft. Um, I think this touches on that while these laws are a good thing and they are a change, they are not the be-all to end-all. They, you know, as said, there are massive fines for individuals and companies and up to 10 years in jail. But to be clear, these are for the deliberate and dishonest underpaying of employees or withholding their wages, superannuation or other entitlements, or for falsifying or to avoiding to keeping employee records to make it, to get a financial advantage. Um, those definitely happen, they happen quite a lot, but there is a lot of areas of underpayment that won't meet that threshold. The inspectorate so far has been quite good um, in working with my area of the union in speaking about matters and even offering advice on what kind of matters they pursue and making very clear what kind of evidence they want. They have definitely come out of since their you know powers came to effect on the 1st of July and are wanting to get out there and make a difference. Um, we will see some of this, but unfortunately, these are, these are criminal matters, and they're going to take quite a while before the first you know, prosecution comes down and we have the first win, but I'm definitely going to be celebrating that day. Yeah, and I think just to add to that as well, we've had really good engagement with the Wage Inspectorate Victoria up until this point. Um, a lot of the work that we've done as well, uh, they're ultimately trying to build an information database um, so that they can kind of prove some of that stuff, that it's knowingly, that it's deliberate, that these are potentially repeat offenders. Um, and so we've had fairly good interactions with them. They're, by all accounts, they're, the process for young workers to go through and report to them is a fairly easy one relative to other regulatory bodies. Um, but I agree with Liam that it's quite a high bar and although I'll be celebrating when it happens, it's going to take a minute for us to get to that place. Thanks for that. Um, I guess by way of follow-up, do you think that these new laws will work in deterring this kind of behaviour from employers? I think we can all accept that there may be some um, employers or workplaces that decide to continue on regardless. Um, we've seen that with the civil penalties. What difference do you think this law will make? Sorry, Liam, you can take this on if you want. Yep. No, go ahead. Yeah, I think these laws will have an effect, but they won't fix the issues. Um, while the inspectorate has been very clear and it's been resourced quite well, it's, in, it's so widespread that they're not going to be able to catch even, you know, a significant majority of wage theft. What they've got to go out there and do is prosecute them and prosecute them hard and effective so it does discourage people. But we also need an easier accessed and beefed up civil system that involves employers, you know, having to pay relevant penalties. While there is a civil system out there, the way that penalties work and that they are applied, in my opinion, is quite insufficient. Um, and it's even when you've got these major prosecutions by the ombudsman who's in the best position to take these through, the penalties compared to even sometimes just the amount of money that the employer may have made by not paying that money and keeping it in a bank account um, and earning minimal interest on it, they just don't make it a fair system to deal with things. And has your experience been the same, Ray? Yeah, yeah, I think... Um on pretty much all of those accounts, I think it's a really important thing. They're going to have to do some prosecutions for there to be a really strong deterrent. And ultimately, we need a deterrent, right? Like we need, we're not never going to be able to organise every shop. We're never going to be able to organise every small business or every like, you know, apprentice on site that has an apprentice to a boss. The reality is that's impossible. But what we can do is, and I think what they're trying to do is they're going to try and push for this prosecutions 
and like out, make it out loud as well. Um, and that will help us as well. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. And that's a really important first step. So it's not everything. Um, we do have to try and figure out the next step of this election promise that um, came along with the wage inspectorate, which is um, a fast-tracked process for people to get their money back, which is really important, right? Because the other element of this is we see, um, you know, businesses go under before workers have been able to actually get the money, the, the money that they're owed back. So um, that is the next step. That's also very important to this, but it's it's critical that we have it because we're never going to be able to get to the breadth of every employer that is doing this and something like a big case and a big prosecution can. Sounds like it's definitely important to keep the pressure on um, to make sure those promises are followed through with. Um, we realise that these laws are obviously very new. They came in in July, but have you seen any changes so far with how employers are responding to allegations of wage theft and underpayments? Have to start with you, Maureen. There are, I don't know if we've seen any particular changes, but what I can say is it, it helps us. We have a regulatory body that we can report a very specific crime to. Um, and ultimately that helps us speed up our processes as well. So although uh, although some employers have heard of the, you know, the wage inspectorate, um, I would say that it's mainly been quite helpful for us for a tool in trying to get money back from employers. I don't think that it's necessarily a thing that employers, at least not in my experience, have been responding to. Um, I would agree there. Um, it's a bit hard to judge, but my recent experience is that it has been a useful tool to bring in. It hasn't been dissuading people from underpaying people, but it has been another tool to add, you know, a letter to a conversation to a threat for legal action. Um, I've also seen what I'll, I'll describe as an increased willingness to engage in resolving issues, as in employers that would previously be very standoffish like unless you're actually going to take this to court we're just not going to respond and now responding to emails to letters to calls apologizing oh it's been a mistake even though it's clear it's not and being able to fix issues thanks for that i just liam just based on the examples that you gave earlier you might just start with you on this one do you think you gave a, a really broad example of different types of wage theft do you think that there's any conduct that these laws don't cover, which may continue to be problematic? And I guess the second part to that is, 
do you foresee any inadvertent effects this law might have? Uh, yep, I think I'll touch on that second bit first on inadvertent effects. Um, I can't see any inadvertent effects this law would have. As we've covered, there is an incredibly high bar for prosecution to this. I can't see how it could ever be able to prosecute someone for a mistake. It Each act that is wage theft a crime in the Victorian legislation requires deliberate and dishonest actions. Um, these are to prove these if it was a mistake it just wouldn't happen so i can't see anything inadvertent on if there are conduct that these laws don't cover yes there are massive areas which these laws don't cover because it just come, covers the criminal action which is able to be prosecuted um, we need an increased stronger civil system i've said but what we absolutely need is for workers rights to be improved currently if a worker had not been paid in let's say two weeks and they keep talking to their employer about it and they drag their, the employer's dragging their feet and they're saying, oh, I'm looking into it, but they're not fixing the issue. And the worker refuses to work. That worker is considered the person to be in the wrong. They could lose their job and depending on what industry and they could potentially be fined or prosecuted themselves for taking unlawful industrial action because they're refusing to work because they're not being paid. This is not something that would be prosecuted as wage theft because it would be, you know, an uh, instance of someone not getting paid for two weeks. Maybe they'll eventually get paid. But for, say, a hospitality worker, a cleaner, security guard, I could this, you know, 50 industries, people who are essentially living paycheck to paycheck, that's absolutely destroying to their life. Um, people need to be able to take industrial action to affect their rights uh, without being punished for it. It's just comment that the amount of hospo voice workers and activists who've been able to do so much with the even before we had the wave Jeff's legislation often makes me incredibly proud i've seen workers stand up for colleagues when they haven't been affected by the issue at all and had their jobs threatened but they do it because they know that it's the only way that they're going to be able to help you know their co-workers and improve the system so they won't be victimized in the future. Murray, do you agree with uh, Liam on those points, the inadvertent effects and any conduct that the laws might not cover and I guess those solutions that he's put forward? I mean, I think that that is generally the perfect answer. I also would add that these are it's really early for us to be able to tell if there's any inadvertent effect, but I can't see it. Um, as Liam pointed out, it's quite a high bar. And I agree with all those solutions. Like, you know, that's, that's you know, there are, there are lots of limitations to this. There are lots of problems that we have in our industrial system um, uh, and that predominantly affect, you know, uh, people, you know, people of colour, young people, um, people with a disability, uh, and um, that goes to a wider problem that we have in our system. This is going to affect a very specific set, and that's really important, but uh, there's definitely quite a wider um quite a breadth of issues that we have as well. So it sounds like um, from what you've both said that these wage theft laws are one tool that workers can, can use to put more pressure on employers to comply and that the success of these wage theft laws are also linked to uh, other abilities for workers to campaign and to um, take industrial action. And those are some other challenges um, that, uh, that workers need to be able to fight as well. And um, that's why joining the union, joining your union or contacting the Young Workers Centre is such an important part 
of um, taking steps against wage theft and making sure that employers are accountable. Um, for our listeners, if they suspect that they're victims of wage theft, what do you think they could do? Um, there's a couple of things that they can do. If they're under the age of 30 uh, here in Victoria, they can come to Young Worker Centre. Um, uh, if you know, if you are a union member, talk to your union. If you're not a union member, join your union. The other thing that's really important and really practical is start taking notes. Start take like start figuring out how much you should be paid. If you're not being paid, start taking meticulous records, keep your pay slips. Um, if there's any discrepancies between the two, um, make note of that as well. But ultimately all of that can help speed up a process to either report to the wage inspectorate or to come through your union or Young Workers Centre. Um, I'd agree with all of that. Join your union. If you're not a member of your union, find out what union, contact the Young Workers Centre. Um, definitely keep records. I'm so happy to hear that. But what I'm going to say on that is contact your union or the Young Workers Centre and ask what kind of records you need to keep, what they actually need to say. You shouldn't let wage theft go on thinking that it can be solved easier at a later date. So far too many times I speak to people who've been knowingly underpaid for such a long time and have never thought to contact the union until they've left the job. And at that point I said, well, here's what we can do, but you don't have these records that we could, you could have kept quite easily. And, you know, it's, someone shouldn't have to keep records of every shift that they work not to get exploited. But unfortunately, the way the system's set up to be able to enforce it, that's kind of what needs to happen. Thanks for speaking with us, guys. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR on 855 AM on 16 November with your hosts, Dylan and Jeremy. You can listen to this show on radio, online, and where you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you love listening to Done By Law and community radio and would like to continue to support us here, you can subscribe to 3CR or donate online in person or by phone. Don't forget to mention Done By Law when you do so, so we can continue to discuss important social justice issues with you on Tuesday nights. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR on 855 AM on 16 November with your hosts, Dylan and Jeremy. You can listen to this show on radio, online, and where you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you love listening to Done By Law and community radio and would like to continue to support us here, you can subscribe to 3CR or donate online, in person, or by phone. Don't forget to mention Done By Law when you do so, so we can continue to discuss important social justice issues with you on Tuesday nights.